be reading this morning from Isaiah chapter 9, familiar verses, verses 6 and 7. And if you're able, please uh, stand to honor the reading of God's word this morning. Again, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, it's a joy and privilege to be here. This morning we're going to do a, begin a two-week uh, mini-series, if you will, from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, looking at the text this week and next week. Um, Beginning in January, that's not too far around the corner, when we make our official launch uh, as a new congregation, uh, as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, we're going to do a, a brief series in January called Redeeming Grace More Than a Name. And so I'm looking forward to that series as we begin the new year together. But we're not in the new year yet, we're in Isaiah chapter 9 right now. And so let's look at this passage together. But as we do, uh, before we do, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we now ask that you would give us clear, clear discernment as we open your word. Would your Holy Spirit now tend to our hearts, expose sin, expose selfishness, expose our hearts for what exists in them, Lord, that you may come and cleanse and sanctify and strengthen. So Lord, would you give us eyes to see the truth and ears to hear it? that you would be glorified. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. When you think about names, we know that names are important. Names are an important part of life. Once you are given a name, that's what you are known for, at least some form of it. Now, we could talk about names and nicknames and all of those kinds of uh, developments or, or, you know, some people have this, this name, and you really don't know their real name until you get to know them. You're like, oh, I had no idea that was your name. Names are important, and we know that, that names have meaning. I know that, that many of you, when you went to name your children, you did so with, with uh, a purpose. Some of you maybe didn't, didn't explore the meaning behind the names, but I'd say the good majority of us here, uh, names have meaning. My name, for example, Adam, means man of earth or in, in, in lesser terms, man of dirt. I don't know what my parents were thinking uh, about that. Man of dirt, uh, but that's my name. And in fact, one of my, uh, I go by my middle name. My first name is Christopher. Nobody's allowed to ever call me that. Uh, but it was one of those things that I endured in school. You know how that goes? Anybody called by your middle name, raise your hand. Okay, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know the pain that your parents put you through. Uh, by referring to you in your middle name, not your first name, because they would always call out your first name, and it always just sounded awkward. Uh, even in seminary, I had a professor call me Chris. Chris Polk, are you here? What? My name's Adam. And so, uh, even though you try to explain, they will still call you by your name. Names are important. 
Names are very important. In fact, in biblical days, we know that they were especially important. And I would say they, sh- they should be important even today. People were named in the Scripture for, for a reason. And we could just give example after example after example of those names. I mean, just think about Abraham, for example, meaning the father of many nations. Isaac was named because he was given to Abraham and Sarah in, in, older, in, in latter years and older age. And Abraham and Sarah both laughed at the Lord when, they, when the Lord told them that they were going to have a child. And Isaac's name means laughter. Peter, name means rock. We, again, we could just have a sermon on the meaning of biblical names this morning. The names in the Bible were, were filled with meaning, and in fact, often, <coughs> excuse me, often the names told a story. So when you get to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, we know that Joseph told by the angel of the Lord, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, speaking about Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You name him Jesus because he will be a savior for his people. He will save them from their sins. That's why you're to name him this, because we know that Jesus is is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Lord is salvation. That's why he was told to call this child Jesus. But long before the angel visited Joseph in Matthew's account, 700 plus years prior to that, there's a man by the name of Isaiah, a prophet. And it's in Isaiah chapter 9 in our text this morning that Isaiah, as he is is anticipating uh, the coming day of this, the dawning of the Messiah, as he's looking forward to the promise of what God would give in the, in the birth of, of the Messiah, in the coming of the Messiah, Isaiah speaks about the same birth that the angel speaks about to Joseph. Isaiah talks about this child, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name, his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it's those names that I want us to to look at over these next two weeks, beginning today and next week, as we unpack these names. Unpacking these names so that we have an understanding of who this Savior would be, who this child would be. Now we know that looking back, (coughs) he indeed is, is the Lord Jesus. But I want us to look through the lens of these names this morning as we think about the the coming of Christ into the world, as we think about the incarnation, as we think about God becoming flesh, and and his name is, is Jesus, this child. But here Isaiah also refers to him with other names. I want us to consider these names because as we consider these names, it's going to inform us about the the, the ministry that Jesus came to accomplish. Now, yes, his, his primary ministry was a saving ministry, a, a ministry of rescue, a ministry of res- reconciliation. The Messiah came into the world, the, the Son of God came into the world so that we could be delivered from the bondage of sin. Exactly what the angel told Joseph. You're to name him Jesus because he will, he will save his people from their sins. But we know that Jesus, as the Savior of sinners, is, is one who came into the world to also do other 
things. And we know we get a glimpse of those other activities that are connected to his saving work through the names that Isaiah presents to us in his prophecy some 700 years prior to the birth of this son, this Savior. I want us to look at the first two names in the list this morning. In fact, as we look at Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, you can actually separate Wonderful and Counselor into two separate names, and many often do. We're going to look at them together, and you can, you can sort of see how they fit together and also how you can see them separated. But we're going to look at them uh, in two ways. We're, we're, we're going to look at the two names this morning, Wonderful Counselor and then Mighty God. I want you to consider these names that, that Isaiah presents to you, to me, to us this morning as we now go back and looking through the eyes and through the lens of Isaiah begin to get a glimpse and understanding of the work, the ministry of the Messiah, the one who would come to save his people from their sins. Let's begin by looking at Wonderful Counselor. Jesus, the Messiah, is indeed wonderful and in many glorious ways, but here we're told that he is a wonderful counselor. <coughs> Excuse me. And when you think about a counselor, there are all kinds of counselors in the world. There, there are financial counselors, academic counselors, guidance counselors. Some of you kids stay in that office way too much. Psychological counselors, marriage counselors, therapeutic counselors. On and on and on we could go. Anything you can imagine, there's a counselor for it. And if anything you can't imagine, we can create a counselor for it. There are all kinds of counsel counselors in the world today. And even within Christendom, even within the, the Christian realm, there are different types of Christian counseling. That's a whole other topic for another day. But the Bible talks often about the wisdom seeking counsel. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, for example. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors there is safety. So the Lord speaks favorably, favorably for, for his people to pursue wisdom, to pursue counsel. In fact, seeking counsel, seeking wisdom from others is a good thing, assuming you're seeking the right kind of counseling. Because we know there are warnings in the Bible, for example, like Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, that warn us not to be taken captive by, by human traditions, by philosophies of this world, for example, by, by worldly counselors that would lead us astray. The child that Isaiah was announcing was described as a wonderful counselor. He would not only come into the world to save sinners, but he would also come into the world to guide, to instruct, to impart wisdom, to, to give grace in that way. Isaiah, Isaiah was speaking these prophetic words in a very dark day. This was not a day of spiritual flourishing for the people of God. In fact, it was a very dark and difficult day. You just go back up to chapter 8 and you get the context. In chapter 8 of Isaiah, speaking of the coming Assyrian invasion, he describes that day as a day of distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. It was not a good day. It was a dark day in Israel. 
But even as Isaiah spoke of this darkness, of this gloom, of this, this anguish, he, he also speaks about this hope, this light that would come. That's where he goes into chapter 9. He says in verse 1, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea of the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people, he says in verse 2, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And then he gets down to verse 6, and he talks about the source, the root of this joy would come through the birth of this son, this expected one. This wonderful counselor is the one who would bring light into the gloom, bring hope into the anguish. He would bring joy into that which was broken. I want us to, to consider a couple of things about Christ's role as our wonderful counselor. A couple of things to, to just point out here, and it's probably stating the obvious, but I want you to, to, to think about them. When you think about the role of Jesus as our wonderful counselor, you need to no, notice, number one, that, that he is fully qualified to serve in this role. He's fully qualified. I mean, think about the incarnation. Think about what happened when Christ was born? It was the event when God became flesh. God put on flesh, put on humanity. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the, of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. <coughs> God became flesh. Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one who is eternal, now becoming, becoming in human form. He is the one who, who, who put on flesh as God himself, but not only in the incarnation. Think about this. Think about the, the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. Not only was God putting on flesh, wisdom was made flesh. Wisdom was made flesh. I even have a chapter and verse for that one, Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 22. This is a text that really is presenting the personification of wisdom. But what you have in Proverbs 8, beginning in verse 22, seems to be a bit more than just a personification of wisdom. It seems to be pointing to someone. Listen to what the text says. The Lord, this is as if wisdom is speaking here. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his works, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, 
When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gate, waiting beside my doors. Forever, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Many scholars have pointed out that Proverbs 8 is in fact the incarnation of wisdom. It is wisdom becoming flesh in the person ultimately of Jesus Christ. He is a wonderful counselor because he is the all-wise king. He is God. You know, friends, I, I think when we think about counsel, I'm firmly, con- firmly convinced that we do, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a responsibility to counsel one another. I don't know if you realize that. In fact, Romans 15, verse 14 says, I myself, Paul speaking to the church, he says, I'm, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and are able to instruct, counsel is the same word, instruct one another. In a sense, all of those who are God's people and growing in Christ, we have an obligation, a responsibility to speak truth into each other's lives. We are competent to counsel one another in the things of this life when it comes to pointing each other back and forth to the truth. But friends, we know. Even though we have this responsibility that I think, again, that's another sermon for another day, that we have a responsibility that I think many of us sort of bypass. Oh, that's for the professionals? Really? Well, We have a responsibility to speak truth into each other's lives, no matter what circumstances we're going through. But even at that, even though we have that responsibility that many of us sort of brush off, we know that that all of us, there's no perfect human counselor, is there? All of us have flaws, weaknesses, blinders. We can't see the human heart perfectly. And so even in our counsel, though it can be good, and I've received excellent counsel throughout the years from people, from from brothers and sisters who speak truth into my life, and I want to do the same for others, and it's been a blessing. We know that we live in a fallen world, and even the best counsel is still human counsel. But friends, there is a counselor who is perfect in wisdom, and there's a counselor that can handle anything that you can throw at him. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, Unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Friends, there's a lot of stock, even in the church today, placed upon the professional counselor. You need to, send a, you need to see a professional. But for brothers and sisters, can I remind you that we have a perfect counselor. A perfect counselor that that has all wisdom and knowledge. And even Christians, how rarely they seek that counsel. He is the eternal God. Christ is the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And in Christ, we're told in Colossians, that, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's fully qualified. Perfect counselor. And you need him. We need him. A second truth that we need to understand when it comes to seeing Christ as our wonderful counselor is is we need to see ourselves for who we really are. 
we are, we are severely limited. This is what the Bible has. The Bible has a lot to say about us, but this is one of those places that's not so good. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 says, I know, O Lord, that the, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. You know what, Jeremiah, what's, what's being said there? It's not in you. It's not in you. You are unable to make life a go in a proper way. It's not in you to, to establish your steps properly. You're incompetent. <laughs> so am I. We're insufficient. We're limited. We, we need to be reminded. Jeremiah, again, this is chapter 17. You've heard this verse Often, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Friend, we simply do not have it in us to make life work. You know, we like to talk about dysfunctional families or people. Friends, the reality is that we're not dysfunctional, we're sinners. I saw an interview with Franklin Graham this past week about what's going on in the world. <laughs> That's what he said. What's, what's wrong? He's, he said, well, it's sin. That's the answer. You know, and, and we rarely get to the root of our problems. You know, we just like to deal with the little external things here and there. You know, I was thinking about this uh, Friday. I was, uh, moving to Southern Maryland has really um, changed my yard work. There's a lot of trees here. And with trees come a lot of leaves. And so... Throughout the fall, even as of last Friday, here I go. I put my little Matt Chandler podcast in my ears and my leaf blower. I get on my roof and blow my gutters out, and pe- my neighbors probably think I'm crazy. You know, and, and week after week, you know, my wife says I'm obs- obsessive about this, but maybe I am. You know, I, I want to get the leaves cleaned up. And what happens when you get the leaves cleaned up? More come. Beats anything I've ever seen. I, I've never had to deal with this on this level before. And I don't have that many trees in my yard. It's my trees, my neighbor's trees. They all blow to my yard for some reason. I think it's a form of judgment on me. But that's what I do is I clean up the leaves and, and I remove them and more come and clean them up and more come and clean them up and more come. The only way to get rid of the leaves is to deal with the root of the problem and cut the tree down, right? I like trees, so I don't want to really cut down too many of them. But that's the, that's the issue, and I'm not being an advocate of saying cut down trees. I, I love trees. It's part of God's creation. But my point is, is that for me to ever get rid of the leaves, I'm going to have to deal with the roots. And that's a picture, really, of how we as, as, as humans try to deal with, with our limitations. We, we just clean it up and try to, try to do the best we can and move on, and yet there comes the trouble again. We try to clean it up, pr- problems again. Friends, it's, it's a picture of how just how limited we are. We are limited. Our, big, our, our problems are, are greater than, than just the, the cleaning up. We have to go to the root of the, the problem. We have to address the heart of the problem. We dealt with the heart several weeks ago in, in Matthew. But our, our, our problem begins in our heart. It begins with our nature. And because we're, we're created beings who are now, now sinful, we are a limited people who need much guidance. We need help. You know, 
know, sometimes we like to paint ourselves in a better light than we really are. I don't know about you, but I find it easy to convince myself at times that I'm not the one that ultimately has the problem. It's always the other person, isn't it? It's always the other person that has the issues that they need to fix and get cleaned up. We even deceive ourselves. And maybe it is other people that do have problems, and we don't want to deny that. But here's the scoop, friends. Because of sin, we are all severely limited in our understanding of God, of ourselves, and how we're to live before Him. And so that's why Jesus comes to rescue us, to break the shackles of sin, to redeem us, to put His Holy Spirit in us, and to set our feet up on a, up on a rock, upon a foundation, so that we can begin this process of transformation by His grace. And He comes then to be our wonderful Counselor who we need, not just when it gets difficult, who we need for every breath, every moment that we live. We need this wonderful counselor. We need this, this, this one who is the, the, the incarnation of wisdom. He's the one who, who put on wisdom. He's the display the, of, of wisdom. Friends, he's a great savior, but he is also a wonderful counselor who you must seek every day of your lives. often find it amazing and yet dif- disappointing that many Christians, those who will affirm the truthfulness and sufficiency of Scripture, those who will acknowledge the supremacy of Christ over all things, sing the songs, affirm the Bible studies, maybe say amen during a sermon. How often, though, many believers will turn to Christ as a last resort to help them. I don't care what, if, if it's small or big. You know, you, you, you've probably heard me mention this before, but I, I remember, I've, this, I've had this several times in different ways. Where I've, this happened several years ago in a different church. I offered to meet with a member of our church to help them walk through the scriptures in a particular thing. And, and I'll never forget what they said through some of the struggles they were having. And, and they said, well, I might as well. I've tried everything else. This was a Christian, a member of our church. It's amazing how, how fo- folks, Christians, even when they are, are confronted with their severe limitations, they will go anywhere and everywhere except Christ. look no further. Christ is a wonderful counselor. He is the only one perfectly qualified to meet you where you are and to get you where you need to be. He's the only one perfectly qualified. Yes, he, he uses the body of Christ. He, he uses other people in your life to spur you on, to, to, to convict you, to help you, to strengthen you. But he's the only one that, that's perfectly qualified. Seek him. Created you, he saved you, he sustained you, he providentially governs every detail of your life. Why would you look to anyone else? First Corinthians chapter one, verse thirty. Paul says, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, we often look to Christ for our redemption. 
And then we get around to looking to him for our sanctification. And friends, how often do you look to Christ for your wisdom? You know, we live in a world full of counselors. There was even a counselor present in the Garden of Eden in the beginning. He was a crafty and deceptive counselor. The Bible says that Satan even disguises himself as an angel of light. And he counsels, but deceptively. I love what Spurgeon once said about this scene. He said, it was by a counselor that this world was ruined. Did not Satan mask himself in the serpent and counsel the woman with exceeding craftiness that she should take unto herself the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the hope that thereby she should be as God? Was it not that evil counsel, was it not that evil counsel which provoked our mother to rebel against her maker? And did it not as the effect of sin bring death into this world with all its train of woe? Ah, beloved, it was meet that this world should have a counselor to restore it if it had a counselor to ruin it. And listen, where you turn in your time of need, where you turn when you need guidance and help is a reflection of your true character and faith. Where do you turn? Jesus has not left you to drift alone in life without direction and guidance. He is the source of wisdom and knowledge. We have to seek him. He's our wonderful counselor. But number two, he is mighty God. I touched on this even in referring to the fact that he is God made flesh. God putting on humanity. You know, when we, when we think of Christmas, you know, we think of the baby in the manger, right? Think of the little baby in the manger. And, and sometimes it's, it's hard for, for people to get their minds around the astonishing fact that this little child in the manger was God in the flesh. Even though the, the Son of God entered the world as this weak, dependent child on one hand, on the other, he was the eternal God who was upholding the world at the same time. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Silent Night. I think it needs to become our theme song, by the way, because in verse 3, I think it says, Silent night, holy night, son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Just saying. But listen to the last phrase. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Simple phrase that we've probably sung thousands of times. Do you understand the weight of that statement? He is Lord, he is king, he is sovereign over the nations, he upholds the planets and the universe that he created, even there in the manger. He is mighty God. We know that he becomes a boy and later becomes a man, and as Jesus fulfilled his ministry, it became more and more apparent throughout his life that he was in fact mighty God. You have people saying, coming to their senses, wow, surely... Surely he's the son of God. 
We know that he's mighty in several ways. He's mighty in his teaching. We've seen this through Matthew, Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He's different. He was mighty in his miracles, many miracles, physical things, natural things, spiritual things. He had control over all realms that you could imagine. He would heal the sick. He would calm storms. He would cast out demons. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, after calming the storm, his disciples responded, What sort of man is this that even the wind and seas obey him? Who is this guy? He's mighty, even in how he endured temptation. Hebrews 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in whom every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He's mighty over death. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus, we're told there throughout the whole chapter, triumphed over death, hell, and the grave once and for all by his glorious resurrection. The fact that Jesus is mighty God ought to surge you with confidence and hope. Because we don't have a Savior that has a grave somewhere for you to go burn incense to. We don't make statues of him and just set him up on stage. We have a Savior who's the living God who created the universe who upholds it, who saves you, who strengthens you, who is the Alpha and the Omega, is the beginning and the end. He has always been, He will always be. He's the only true and living God. He's the only one worthy of worship. And it's not because He's merely like God. It is because He is God. How does that impact? I want you to hear what the Bible has to say about Christ as you reflect upon the fact that he's mighty God. Listen to these passages, Romans 8, 9 and 10. As Paul compares life in the spirit to life in the flesh, he says, But if Christ, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself that Christ Jesus is in you. Colossians 1, verse 27, Paul, speaking of the fact that he had made, been made a minister to make the mysteries of Christ known, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And this, this truth, the fact that Christ, the coming, of the, the coming Messiah and the one who did come, Jesus, the fact that he is mighty God is not just some kind of intellectual thing you should think about out there somewhere that, that you should just acknowledge. But listen, Christ, we're told time after time again, if you are a part of the family of God, if you have come to know him, Christ is in you. 
The same power that spoke the planets into existence and the same power that raised dead people to life is the same power that rests and resides in you if you're in Christ. Do you realize that? The same power that drew the gaze of shepherds and magi, the same power that caused the crowds to be amazed, the same power that caused the deaf to hear the lame to walk, the blind to see, the dead to be raised, the same power that caused Mary's womb to be filled with child when she was a virgin, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that's present in you and in me if we are in Christ. That, friends, should blow you away. told that Christmas, at least according to the song, is the most wonderful time of the year. And yet the reality for many is that that merely is a song that has little meaning. We still live in a sin-cursed world. We still face pain and trials. We still have tension. We still have struggle. Our burdens and our battles continue to be many and numerous. But friends, the good news is that there is one who came to bear your burdens and to defeat your greatest battle. And his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. His name is Jesus, the one who came to save his people from their sins. Have you trusted your life? I'm asking you, not the person beside you. You. Have you trusted your life in his wise and powerful hands? Have you? Or are you trying to be your own counselor and depend upon your own might? Friend, if you are, you will fail miserably. There's only one counselor who's wonderful. And there's only one God who is mighty. And he has been made manifest in the flesh through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look no further. Look to Christ. Find your hope in him. Find your guidance through him. He has come. The good news, friends, is he didn't stay in the manger. He ultimately went to a cross, and he now sits on a throne, and he one day will come again bring you to himself. Let's pray. Father, as we contemplate who you are, as we think about even through your son, what you've done and how you've revealed yourself, Lord. Father, we know that We often look in so many places and we often seek to find our joy in so many other places. But Lord, you have have solved our greatest need. You have given us everything that we could ever ask for. And Lord, we thank you that in this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Lord, in this child, that you accomplished everything that was needed for our rescue 
and our hope. Lord, we're grateful that Jesus has come. And Lord, we're grateful he didn't stay in a manger. But Lord, went through that cross and died for our sin. And now sits on a throne in heaven. Lord, we, we're grateful for that. But Lord, we know that we need help. We need help to look to him, to trust in him, to seek him, to believe him. To cast our burdens upon him. Father, Father, we know that we live in a world filled with strife. Lord, a world that's not far different than Isaiah's day, a day of darkness and gloom and anguish. But Lord, we rejoice that light has dawned, that hope has come, and that in Christ we can have everything that we need. So, Lord, I pray this morning that if there are people in this room that have never met Christ as Savior and Lord, that today would be that day. Father, their hearts would be spurred, that their their lives would be on display before them, that they would realize that, that without Christ they have no hope, but that in Christ they can have eternal hope, confidence, forgiveness of sins, rescue, Lord, and not only that, Lord, they can have guidance and help and power. God, would you turn their hearts to you? Lord, there may be many in this room already believers and yet struggling with life and struggling with, with issues that they're wrestling with for some time, Lord. Maybe they've sought ungodly counsel maybe they've tried to counsel themselves maybe Lord they've tried to do life in their own power and strength God would you grant them a heart of repentance this morning and bring them back to see you as wonderful counselor mighty God Father would you have your way now in our hearts would you lead us to respond in a way that pleases you it's transformative this day forward. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.